Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Well, good morning and welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship today. We're so glad all of you can be here with us. And thank you for tuning in remotely for those of you that are in your living rooms and kitchens and patios. So it's good to be together. Happy Sunday. Welcome to summer. Has everyone been enjoying the 90 degree heat? A few of you? Some with pools enjoy it a little bit more. (laughs) So... We've been, um, we're into summer now, and I'm not really working out of a series, so I've got a couple standalones and a couple surprises coming up uh, in in the near future. Uh, However, today, (laughs) we're going to be talking about, and I'm not even sure how to say this properly, I couldn't find any enunciation guide for the Hebrew word, but it's mevu garim, I think is how you say it, or something close to that. And it simply means uh, adult or grown up. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later in the message. But in Colossians 1, 9 and 10, the scriptures tell us, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow. Can everyone say, you will grow? and learn to know God better and better. There's this concept found throughout Scripture, and we start in an immature state or an infant state as a baby, immature, and we move or we grow towards maturity. This happens in the natural world. How many of you came out of your mother's womb mature? We don't, right? We start as an infant. We start as a baby, and then we start moving by mastering skills towards maturity. And uh, this, your studying, your lived experience, right, and your service create a great opportunity for you to mature in your faith. So when we study the scriptures, we study the word of God, your lived experience, the things that you're going through cause you to either grow up, right, or you should. And then as we're serving alongside one another, those relationships, it's like iron sharpening iron, and we all start to grow. So they were reading in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, and I just want to highlight, I'll come back to that a little later, but I want to highlight verse 14 in the Orthodox Jewish Bible. Now, what they've done is they've taken an English translation and they've inserted some Hebrew words, um, a couple of specific dialects, but um, that shine some light sometimes on some things, and, and but solid akel, I think that's food, is for the mevugarim, which is what I'm talking about today, the mature ones, the adults. That's what we need to understand from this. The mature ones and the adults get solid food. The ones who ke'ilim, or faculties, have been trained for practice so that they can distinguish, and it goes on and talks about the good and the evil. And what happens is we have to come to a place of maturity by practice and we train our senses so that we can grow in the things of God. And we do this 
by maturing or growing up. Now, at this point in the book of Hebrews, it seems to me in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, the author, whoever that was, because the Bible doesn't tell us it was Paul, so we don't really know who wrote it, um, the author of Hebrews is saying at the end of Hebrews 5, hey, look, I intended to go into some sort of an explanation for all of you on Jesus being our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, we know Melchizedek, you see this around Genesis, where was it, 14, verses 18 to 20, you see Melchizedek. And that was after Abraham went and, and recovered Lot, his nephew, and all of his belongings when Lot got conquered by the other kings and Abraham and his household went and rescued him. But Abraham took the plunder and gave a tithe, it seems, to Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness. And some scholars will link that to Noah's son Shem. Some believe it was a pre-incarnate visit from Christ when he was here on earth. Either way, he was the king of righteousness. Abraham sowed some tithes into him after his great victory. Seems like it was a one-time tithe to Melchizedek at that point for the victory that God had given him. You see Melchizedek again in reference to Christ in Psalms 110 verse 4. David's talking about that. And then we don't hear about him again until the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is saying, look, I wanted to go on some great explanation to you about Jesus, our high priest, in the order of Melchizedek, but, everyone say but, there's much more we would like to say about this in verse 11, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. How'd you like to be a Hebrew believer? And whoever's writing this letter to you says, I mean, that would be like me standing up here saying, hey, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you are spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen. That would go over like a lead balloon. How many are like, yeah, no. But that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrew Christians. And then they go on to explain, you've been believers so long, you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk still is an infant and doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for who? The mature. Who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And that's the concept that we're going to work on today. That training, that skill, that maturity that we have to develop. So the author of Hebrews is saying, you know what? You guys are so immature that I have to go back now in Hebrews 6 and lay a foundation for Christianity and talk about the basic principles and the basic concepts of Christianity so that you can connect the dots to get over to chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10 up to about 10, 18, where they explain that Jesus is our high priest. How are we doing? So the author says, I have to take this little detour in my train of thought and give you some basic foundational truths so that you can have some understanding of the more advanced concepts. Who are the spiritually dull? that don't listen. Who are those people? Uh, the Greek word that is actually used there is nothros, nothros, which means sluggish or lazy. And really, it's people who neglected their studies. They were lazy and did not grow up or mature as they should have. So how many of you like math? A couple of you like math. The rest of you are more English people science people. Let's go to, set, to math. In math, if you do not master the basic concepts of addition and subtraction, you're going to struggle with math your whole life. You can't go and do advanced functions and relations if you don't understand addition and subtraction. 
You can try, but you may not come up with the right answer. <laughs> that was my problem. <laughs> so what happens is, in, this, in the Word of God, we have to master the basic concepts, but what happens is there's this idea that we have to put in some energy, some effort, some work, so that we can grow in faith, so that we can mature, so that we can gain understanding of these basic concepts and these basic principles. So believers who should be teaching others but really have to be taught the basics themselves is what's being addressed here. And the, the writer of Hebrews is actually going so far as to say, you're immature infants due to your lazy attitude towards the things of God. Isn't that awesome? How'd you like it if someone told you that? You're an immature infant because of your lazy attitude towards the things of God. That's a harsh statement. In 1 Corinthians 2, 13, when we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others for who can know the Lord's thoughts, who knows enough to teach Him, but we understand these things. We have the mind of Christ. I want to take a, a moment and pause there. In Corinthians, this is Paul writing, and he's talking about people that are not in Christ. They're not lit, as I say. They're not born again. They haven't received forgiveness of their sins and got into a relationship with God. They will have no understanding of spiritual concepts. They're not going to understand spiritual things because they're not connected to Christ. That said, how can people who are not connected to Christ gain insight into spiritual things? They have to get connected to Christ. How do you get connected to Christ? It's very simple. Jesus came to earth and lived a sinless life. He was crucified under the Romans because the Jews wanted him dead. The Jewish leaders wanted him dead, okay, at that time. He died and went in the ground. Three days later, he came out of the grave. He resurrected from the dead, conquering sin, right? Then he ascended into heaven. He was a one-time sacrifice for all of the sin of mankind. Jesus became the once and for all final sacrifice for all of your sin and all of mine. By faith, we believe Jesus died and rose from the dead. We believe he died for our sins and repentance from our sin. Father, please forgive me for my sin against you where I've broken your law. That's how people get into the family of God. They repent of their sin. They ask Jesus to save them. Why? Because he did the work. He was the sacrifice to get you into a relationship with God. So I like to pray. I'm just going to say a very simple prayer. If you've never prayed this prayer and you'd like to give your life to Christ, this will be the beginning to help you to understand spiritual things. Father, I admit that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I thank you that you sent Jesus to earth to live among us and to die for my sins so that I can be saved. Please help me to overcome my past life of sin and help me to live a righteous and a holy life with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you pray that for the first time ever, maybe in the room, come talk to me right after the service. And if you pray that on the stream, please get the attention of one of our uh, facilitators, our moderators, and they will gladly help give you a little bit more information about this Christian life. Now, 
When people come into the kingdom, once they've been born again or once they've been saved, once they've given their life to Christ, now you've got the nature of God inside you, so he gives us the ability to understand spiritual things. See, if you're not a spiritually minded person, how are you going to understand the things of the spirit? You're not. Just like if you're not mathematically minded, you may struggle with some of the concepts of math. You have to learn. You have to work really hard to do that, okay? Now, the picture is given in the scriptures of a baby who needs milk instead of solid food because solid food is for the mature. So let's think about this. If you've been in the church, and I'm just going to say five years, if you've called yourself a Christian for five years and you still cannot share God's plan of salvation with someone, you've neglected to grow in the basics. If you're in church but you're not reading your Bible, the truth is you're sluggish and lazy. Because reading God's Word should be the foremost thing in our life as a believer because that's where all the revelation He has for us comes from. Truth on how to live our Christian life. We can be dull in our faith. If you're constantly offended with people, if you cannot pray, if you can't understand the basics of the faith, we need to put in some more energy and effort in that direction because God didn't make it real complicated it's not all great deep mysteries in the kingdom of God. In fact, most things in Christianity are pretty straightforward. They're pretty, they're pretty out there, pretty easy to understand. I just explained salvation very briefly, but it's a very simple concept that Jesus died for the sins of all mankind. That's not super complicated. And what happens is, as Christians, we should be growing, we should be progressing. You know, when you were in school back in the day, and some of you probably spent more time in school than others did, you know, how many of you liked grade one? How many of you liked grade one so, many, so much that you stayed there for 20 years? <laughs> there comes a point when you want to move on to grade two, right? And then we go to grade three into grade four, and that's part of the maturing process. You know, I was... I was talking about my kids, they were sitting here at the first service, and I said, you know, my job is to train them so that at some point when they walk out the doors of my house and go and start their own household, my hope is they will be able to survive. And I have to teach them some things like how to handle their money, you know, because, you know, when you move out on your own, you might have to pay some bills. And if you're not living on your own, you might understand or not understand that, you know, you have to pay your electricity bill if you want the lights to stay on, or you have to pay your uh, gas bill if you want to be able to use a gas dryer or a gas stove or have a, a forced air furnace. And you might have some rent or some mortgage or some other things that you have to pay for. And then for me, I mean, hey, when I moved out on my own, I realized how much I ate. Because <laughs> food's not cheap. It's readily available, thank you, Jesus, but it costs money. And see, what happens is part of the maturing process is learning how to handle these natural areas of our life, including setting limits so that we don't get ourselves into trouble. You know, hey, I tell people all the time, you can stay up all night if you want to. But if your job starts at 9 in the morning, at some point in the morning, you better get up and be at work on time because if you don't get up and show up at work on time, that's going to create some problems for you, isn't it? especially if you do that consistently over a period of time. This is maturing. This is part of growing up. Those are natural things that we do. In the faith, there's things that we do so that we can mature. We start growing up in the faith 
Just like my natural children have to grow up in natural things, I also want them to mature in the spiritual concepts or the spiritual things. Some people live by feelings and emotion or fads and tangents. Others can immediately sense that something's off and the latter have their senses a little bit more trained in the word of God and truth and have discernment. When you get a call, ring, ring, Hi, this is the CRA calling, and we want to let you know that you owe us all kinds of money. So send me your social insurance number. Have you gotten those calls? Last week? How many as trained, exercised adults realize that that is a scam? You don't fall for that, do you? Yes, my social insurance number is... See... I'm working with my children now when they play their little online games not to give out their name, address, and phone number to some stranger in a game. And I'm amazed at how many people try to get that information from who they know as kids. So sometimes I'll grab the chat and say, hey, give me that for a minute. And I'm playing along and all of a sudden I stop and go, so why are you talking to my 12-year-old like that? Delete, click, goodbye. <laughs> it's amazing. But see, I have to train them on how to interact in that arena of the world. Because how many know not everybody out there has your best interest in mind? Ay, ay, ay. That's right. <laughs> many people spend a lot of time sculpting or training their body. I'm obviously not one of those people. However, the Bible says that exercise profits a little, so I do exercise, just not for hours and hours and hours a day. And, and what happens is, I almost wish that people would understand your body is temporary and it's going to go to the grave one day. We all have an appointment with death. God only puts so many number of days on you and you're going to live that many days and that's it. And when God says your days are up, you go home and you meet him or you go and you stay apart from him forever. That's, that's the two places that we end up. But my point is, your body, which is temporal, we spend much more care and attention sculpting and training our body so that we can look a certain way and feel a certain way about ourselves. But the truth is, your spirit, which is eternal, can everyone say eternal? Your spirit's eternal. It's going to live forever. We should spend more time sculpting our spirit, training our, exercising our discernment so that we can discern between what is right and wrong. How are we doing? We doing okay? So this is discernment, knowing what's right and wrong. Okay. 1 Kings 3.9, Solomon's talking to God. God, give me an understanding heart. He wanted to govern his people well, but he wanted to know the difference between right and wrong. What kind of prayer is that? That's a prayer every one of us should pray. Every day, God, help me to discern between what's right and what's wrong. Because left to our own devices, it gets really muddy, doesn't it? It gets really blurry. Is it right? Is it wrong? Is it somewhere in between? What do you mean somewhere in between? Isn't it right or wrong? Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God has the ability to discern your motives. It's going to shine light on those dark areas inside of your life, inside of your heart. 
The Word of God is always going to reveal why you do what you do. If you're spending time in the Word of God, it's going to come evident to you that some of the things you do, you do for the wrong reasons, and you're going to have to change why you do some of the things that you do. If you're spending time in the Word of God, it's going to expose the darkness within you so that you can drive it out by the power of God. That we can change the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we talk. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Ask a question. If you cannot tell the difference between right and wrong, how are you going to hate what's wrong and hold tight to what is good? How are we going to do that? If you can't tell the difference, if you don't know what's right and what's wrong, how are you ever going to hold to what's good and hate what's wrong? Yeah, in the culture today, there's a lot of that. So we have to have our discernment. We have to have this ability to, as mature adults, look at situations and say, this is right and this is wrong kind of necessary for spiritual growth, kind of necessary if we want to move beyond grade one in the school of Christianity. Have you ever thought about doing something your conscience told you was wrong or felt off? You know, you know you're right here, this is right behavior, and you know down here is wrong behavior, and you sit here and you stand on the ledge. And your conscience is saying, don't do it. Your flesh is saying, do it. And your heart's saying, run away. And you're, and, and you're in the valley of decision. But why? One of these days I'm going to go, poop. <laughs> but see, why do we tempt? Why do we put ourselves in temptation's path? I mean, how many of you have ever played chicken with a train? I don't really want to know. You stand in front of the train till the last possible second, then you jump out of the way. Because it's not moving, I promise. You'll lose that conversation. Although I've seen moose <laughs> that won that conversation. No. <laughs> the point is, why do we put ourselves on temptation's path with sin? You're standing on the edge. You know that this is not good, this is wrong, this is unhealthy, yet you go stand right on the edge anyways. Why would we do that? Is that using good wisdom? It's not using good wisdom, so why, why would we do that? Because we know that if we stand here long enough, eventually our spirit is going to get worn down and our flesh will win. And we get what we want. But then we pay the price for that, don't we? And then we go back to God and say, God, why is this happening to me? Well, you got what you wanted. None of you have ever done this. When you can't tell the difference between right and wrong, there's a problem. Reprobate. Luke 8. Jesus is telling a parable here. I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. So there's a lot of people listening to Jesus talk. A farmer went out to plant a seed. As he scattered it across the field, some seed fell on the footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks and it began to grow. But the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among thorns and grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. And still other seed fell on fertile soil. The seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as been planted. When he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. His disciples, smaller group later, asked him what the parable meant. 
And this is what I'm talking about with this maturity where people who chew on the word of God will gain insight and revelation from the scriptures. He replied, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom. I use parables to teach others so the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they look, they won't really see, and when they hear, they won't understand. Then he explains the meaning of the parable. See, a lot of times the word of God will go forth, but if people don't have their spiritual eyes open and they're not in receiving mode and they're not going to go study the scriptures to gain the insight and revelation from the word of God. The truth is I might talk for 40 minutes to an hour on a Sunday morning, but there's at least 10 or 12 hours worth of content in any message that we ever preach. Probably more like two or 300 hours of content. But what happens is the ones that want to will dig into the word deeper and they'll be able to connect everything, all the concepts in. So here's the meaning. The seed is God's word. The seeds that fell in the footpath represent that those that hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. When we go out into the world and we share the word of our testimony, when we share the word of God with people, a lot of times that seed doesn't land in their heart and they don't immediately give their life to Christ. The devil comes and steals it away. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, for his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it goes on and says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Why? His roots are going to go down deep into the word of God. But see, when temptation comes, if your roots are not deep in the Word of God, you fall into sin. If your roots are deep in the Word of God, you'll back away from temptation and you won't fall into it. So that's the seed that falls on the rocky ground. But the next one is the one that's really in the context of what I'm talking about today. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And then the seeds that fell in good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. See, the cares of this world, the focus of the world system is going to get you off track in your relationship with Christ if you let it. Those weeds will grow up and choke out the word of God inside of your life. It's the deceitfulness of riches. It's the deceitfulness of pleasure. And not casting your cares at the foot of the cross, not giving your cares to Christ, but trying to solve things with your own wisdom and reasoning. These things will disconnect us in our relationship with Christ. In 1 Corinthians 14, 20, dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding matters of this kind. That means to hate evil, I don't have to go explore all evil to hate evil. I should be innocent of evil. You know, there's some pretty evil things out there. I don't have to go experience them and explore them so that I can tell you, yes, it's evil. Other people have done that. I'm going to take their word for it. But I think it's prophetic because he ends with be mature in understanding matters of this kind. He's talking about spiritual gifts, tongues specifically, prophecy, right? Like that's the context. Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, this is Paul, starts with, what does he say? Let love be your highest goal. Isn't that what he says? He starts with, let love be the goal, and then he goes on and talks about tongues and prophecy and having understanding. 
Man, 1 Corinthians 14 is one of the most debated, argued about chapters in the Bible. Tongues is for yesterday. Tongues is for today. Tongues went out with the first century. Tongues is not supposed... Anyways, argument, 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 argument. Let love be our highest goal. We shouldn't be arguing about these things. Hey, yay, yay. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such, say, unity in our faith, knowledge of God's Son, and mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We need unity, we need knowledge of Christ, and then we need maturity. This is how, what happens? We are no longer immature like children and won't be tossed or blown about by every new wind of doctrine or teaching. Hey, Pastor RJ, I watched a Facebook video about this guy who was talking about how the devil is going to do this crazy thing on this day. Uh, yeah, nice. I find that a lot of the new doctrine gets off a little bit. Hey, did you know that here's a false doctrine that's going around? Did you know that people were created for covenant? That's true. And that's not a false doctrine. But the next portion is. So it's got a little bit of truth in it. We were created for covenant. We were made to be in a covenant with God. And then he gave us the marriage covenant so we can be in covenant with each other. However, they will go on and explain, well, when people are active sexually, as far as God's concerned, they're joined anyway, so they're married already, so they don't need to enter into a formal marriage covenant together. Oh, you detected that, did you? Wrong, wrong, wrong. Why is that wrong? Because that goes against the order that God established. But what happens is there's a little bit of truth in it, so people believe the lie. And the more truth you put in the lie, the harder it is to discern. But if you don't know what the Word of God says, you're going to have a hard time discerning what's right and wrong, truth from error, lie from truth. And he goes on in Ephesians and says, he says, we won't be tossed or blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who's the head of the body, his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, and each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. When people grow to maturity and everybody does their part, everybody fulfills their role in the kingdom, the body of Christ is complete. But if we don't grow to maturity, think about it. It would be a little bit more difficult for you to navigate through life if your limbs remain the same size as they did when you were born as a baby and never matured, but the rest of your body did. Because I was a skinny little baby, and I'm confident that those skinny little legs could not carry this adult male frame. Do you, see, do you see what I'm trying to give you a picture of? The whole body has to be mature to function to its highest and best ability. And when the whole body is functioning together, there is unity of the faith, there's knowledge of God's Son, and we're mature measuring up to the standard that Christ has. Do you see how that works? I find it interesting, it's in the same context. And in English, that translated word perfect, it almost always in the New Testament means full age, maturity, fully developed in character. 
when they're talking about being made perfect, it's talking about being mature, being fully developed in character, of full age and expression where you can actually handle and govern your affairs properly. In James chapter 3, verse 2, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. There's that word perfect again. RJ's going to add, fully developed in character. I think there's some other translations that actually use that exact language. And could also control ourselves in every other way. How much trouble do you get in because you can't control your tongue? Think about it. If we could just simply control our words, how much better would your marriage be? Your friendships? Your relationships at work? We need to be on guard to watch over the words that we've spoken. And in this day and age, we need to be on guard to watch over the things that we're writing. You know, I get tempted all the time. I don't go on social media or news sites a crazy amount. I do a little bit of headline surfing, and sometimes I'm on there to talk to someone and I see an article or a headline. But the truth is, man, am I tempted to get involved in conversations all the time, because how many know I have an opinion? But I bet you have an opinion too. And we all have this thing here where we want to make sure our opinion is heard. So lots of times, I don't say nothing. Because if I can't align my opinion with some truth from the Scripture, nobody needs to hear it. <laughs> See what I'm saying? We create problems for ourselves by getting into things like gossip, or we, we propagate false information sometimes, not realizing it's false information. We have to be careful with these things. Our tongue will get us into lots of trouble. Remember, love is our what? I heard someone say it, our highest goal. Love is our highest goal. Here's my concluding section that I want to go into for today's message. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. This is Peter writing to a group of believers saying, hey, my brother Paul wrote a letter to you as well. Some of his comments are hard to understand. Oh, speaking of these things in his letter, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. In fact, just about every heresy in the church circulated around the first century started with people misinterpreting the writers of Peter and Paul and James. And, you know, the Gnostic belief system kind of came out at that time. They read the same data, but they came to very different conclusions. And then they had to overlook some key, key data in there to actually reach those conclusions. So, they twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of the Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard that you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. People's words get twisted. I think that there's a spirit operating in the land today where people twist their words. I can watch politicians on any side of the border in any country give a speech and people will twist the words of that politician to say something that they didn't say. That's Canada, that's U.S., that's England, that's, that's, that's many places. How often does that happen in your marriage? How often does that happen in your relationships where you say this and someone twists it and they hear something totally different? 
We have to be on guard. We have a real enemy who's here trying to divide us. Things are so polarized in our culture today. Everybody's in a camp. But in the body of Christ, we're one body. This is the problem. We don't go to war against ourselves. I know there's different beliefs within the Christian umbrella, and I understand, but we're all brothers and sisters all trying to build the kingdom. I'm not going to argue with someone about their end-time eschatology. I have my point of view, they have theirs, but you know what? We're still serving Jesus. Let's just focus on that. Peter's writing here to defend Paul's writings because a lot of the false teaching that was coming up in the first century was a mixture of truth and lie. How do you think Adam's wife was deceived in the garden by the serpent? Do you think the serpent came in and said, oh, God didn't say that? No, he didn't. He twisted what God said and added a little bit to it. And that opened the door for deception in her life. And once you believe one lie, man, you're gonna, you can believe all kinds of lies. I've done this with my children. Let me explain. Have you tried to explain to a child something that is beyond their scope based on their biological age and understanding? You know, when my daughter was four, looking at the rainbow in the sky, and I was trying to explain to her how the sunlight reflected off the water crystals up in the sky, I think I overshot a little bit. Look at the pretty colors God painted. Do you understand what I'm saying? But people whose senses are not spiritually discerned, sometimes they miss the whole point because you're overshooting with the doctrine. So it's, it's important that if we're mature, we won't fall easily into the enemy's traps, but we always have to be growing in grace and knowledge. That means you're not going to arrive with all of the revelation. You won't get there. I won't get there. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll get there. But we have to have grace for each other in the process, and we have to continue to pursue the knowledge of, of, about Jesus. And then we've all had these conversations where you have a conversation with someone, and they walk away with something totally different than what you say, or you walk away with something totally different than what they say. This spirit is operating in our culture right now, and it's causing people to polarize into camps. And there's all kinds of issues out there, I'll call them social issues, that are dividing the body of Christ. They're dividing humans. And people are polarizing. And where God wants us to come together under the umbrella of Christ to be his body, there's all these little factions that are starting to come up all over the place. This is not Christianity. This is the enemy working to divide God's people and the culture as a whole. Why don't you guys stand with me if you could? This is the most unifying thing I think we can do at any church service because all of us stand before the Creator equal. We're all forgiven, we're all loved, we're all His sons and daughters. Fathers, we come to the table today with our covenant meal with You. Your body was broken so we could be made whole. And Father, I thank You that You restore us to health. You restore our minds emotionally to health. And Lord, help us all to examine our lives, to guard our tongues, to watch our actions, that we could move towards maturity and wholeness in you. 
I thank you, Father, that we can be adults and we can discern truth from lie. And we can see through the enemy's traps and plans that he would set out before us. I ask you that the eyes of our understanding are opened each day as we spend time in your word so that we could see you in the power of your resurrection. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. In the cup of the new covenant, Father, we know that Jesus was our sacrifice and all his blood was poured out so we could be in relationship with you and receive forgiveness. Lord, help us to never take advantage of the freedom we have in Christ, but help us to stay rooted in your word and rooted in truth. Lord, I ask that your power be released in everyone's life that's listening today. The power of God, let it be manifest. Father, I thank you that you're releasing minds from bondage. You're freeing people from the enslavement of sin. You're shattering the strongholds that the enemy has placed in our minds that come against you. And Lord, I thank you that we are free today. We are powerful today. We are united today. And we're continuing to grow in the knowledge of God towards maturity today as your presence and power operates through us in Jesus' name. A couple things before you go. I know the way we receive tithes and offerings looks a little bit different now, but we still receive tithes and offerings, and I thank you, Windsor Christian Fellowship, for your faithfulness in this arena. They put the buckets by the doors, or we do things online now. But as we transfer money into the kingdom of God, we have to have an expectation and a faith that God is who he says he is, and that he's going to rebuke the devourer from our lives, and he's going to continue to provide for all of our needs. So I will pray for you. I'll make a brief statement, and then we will go. Father, I thank you as we sow. It's a great opportunity to put seed in your kingdom and your law of seed time and harvest is in effect in the earth today. And Father, the tithe is holy and we give that to you and we expect you to keep your part of the covenant. And you do, Lord, put an open heaven over our life and rebuke the devourer. And you provide for everything we need. And Lord, as we sow offerings into your kingdom, I thank you that you multiply our seed and it'll produce much fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold and that lives are being changed as a result of our giving this day. In Windsor and the surrounding areas and in the nations of the earth. Father, as everyone goes today, I thank you that your spirit goes before them, that your word sustains them, and that your word says you're faithful to complete the work that you began in each of us. I thank you that you're continuing that process right now in the name of Jesus, amen. And the final thing that I'll say is, with COVID and some of the requirements, we are working to have a waiver for next time you come in, if not next time, the time after. But essentially, once you sign the waiver, we don't have to do all the questions and all that stuff. We might have to do a temperature screen, but that should be it. Just to facilitate easier in and out to the facility. For now, it looks like social distancing is here for a bit. Um, thank you for cooperating with our teams. I do value that. Anyway, go in grace and wisdom. God bless you all. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.